Good morning. This is so glad to see everyone here this morning. Welcome home, family. <clears throat> Thank you, band, as always, for leading us in song and in worship. <clears throat> so, nine-year-old Joey just came out of a Sunday school or his children's church class, and he and his mom said, well, what did you learn? He said, well, mom, the teachers told us about how God sent Moses back into Egypt on a, on a rescue mission and how he went behind enemy lines and how he led the Israelites out of Egypt. And they, they got to the Red Sea and they built a pontoon bridge and they crossed the Red Sea. And then Mo, uh, Moses radioed headquarters and they sent the bombers in and, and blew up the pontoon bridge with the uh, Pharaoh's army on it. And, and, and so Israel was saved. And his mom looked at little Joey and says, Joey, is that really what you learned? And he says, well, no, mom, but if I told it like the teacher told it, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> and so I think that this illustrates the, the fact that we've been in the book of Exodus, and we're now in Exodus chapter 14, where God actually leads them to the Red Sea and crosses the Red Sea, and it's just one of those other miracles of God's deliverance that sometimes can be hard to fathom, can be hard to think about, but we trust in what God has said and how he has revealed it through his word. And so that's where we'll be this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 14. If you don't, don't worry, they'll be on the screen behind us. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for today when we can come before you as your people and praise your holy name where we can sing songs to you and pray to you, knowing that you hear us, where we can open up your word and let your word teach us who you are, how you save, how you love, how you guide, how you have worked in history. Lord, I just pray for this time as we come before you that you use it to grow us, to make us your people, deepen our faith, Reveal the truth of who you are to us so that we can worship you and praise you all the more. Lord, we love you and seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been there where you seem to be stuck between a rock and a hard place? You've done everything right, right? You've done everything how you're supposed to do it, and yet it still hasn't worked out for you. Life still is coming at you in, in ways that you, you didn't expect, and you're wondering, what do I do now? How should I respond in this situation? Do I cut and run? Do I turn back? Do I change how I'm doing? Do I change the course, or do I stand firm? What do I do in this situation? Do I call it quits? We've all been there in these situations where we're facing trouble or we're facing kind of complex situations and we're wondering, how should we respond? How should we respond to these things? How should we act? What are we supposed to do? And that's where we find the people of Israel in Exodus 14. Because if you remember the story, God has delivered him from Pharaoh's hand through these ten signs and wonders that we call plagues. He has shown the people, Israel and the people of Egypt, just how great he is, how powerful he is, how he's more powerful than anything they could put their trust in. And so now the people of Israel being led out there, actually Pharaoh's like, I'm going to have it, go, leave. And so they're leaving, they're leaving Egypt. But yet now when we catch up to them in Exodus 14, they find themselves in a spot 
where it seems like now their hope has gone. They find themselves with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army closing behind them, and they're wondering, what do we do in this situation? We've done everything right. We followed you, Moses. We followed you, God. We listened to you. We're now walking in the wilderness with all of our possessions. What do we do now when all hope seems lost? And we see what Moses says to them, and it's the truth that we should take heart as well in our own lives. So let's read Exodus chapter 14 and see how this story unfolds. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of, in front of Pi Hioth between Migol and the sea, in front of Bay Zephim. And you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, and the mind of Pharaoh and his servants <clears throat> was changed towards people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued him, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hioth in front of Bel-Zephom. Then Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over the Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen, then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. 
And the Egyptians said, let us flee before, the, before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, that none, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So what do we learn from Exodus 14? A story that most of us probably have heard in some form or another, the crossing of the Red Sea. Well, I'll just say what we learn is what Moses tells the people, that we should stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. That when we face trials, when we are in uh, between a rock and a hard space, when we are wondering what we should do, when we're confused about how God has guided us or really where we are in life, this answer rings true that we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. It's a great reminder of the gospel that salvation is of the Lord. That it's not something we obtain. It's not something we earn. It's not something we achieve. It's a great reminder that God gives it of his grace. And so all we have to do is stand in it. That because of Jesus Christ and who he is, how he lived perfectly for us, satisfying the law, how he died for us, taking his sin upon himself, how he rose for us, vindicating himself, as well as showing the new life that's going to live inside of us, because we know who Jesus is, this great gospel, we know that we have done nothing to earn the salvation, but Christ has done it all for us. The salvation truly is of the Lord, and all we do is stand firm in it. We believe in who Jesus is and that we stand firm in that promise that God has for us again and again as we face life. When life does not go as we expect, when things go awry, we remind ourselves again of this truth of who God is and stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. But that's what we see in Exodus chapter 14. But we also see how God is working in ways we don't expect. The passage starts with this funny statement. They're being led out of of Egypt, right? Israel's being led out of Egypt. And I love how it says that God tells them, hey, turn back. They're heading away. They're they're, they're scot-free. They're going to be out of Egypt. And God says, whoa, 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 turn back. Actually, encamp right here. Why? Because I want enough time for Pharaoh to change his mind and come against you because I still need to prove to everyone in the world how I am God, even over Pharaoh. He's still going to show his, his might and show how he's going to deliver the people from Pharaoh. And so he has this plan, but it's not one the Israelites expected. They thought, hey, we're scot-free. We're, we're heading out. We're going to be free. We're going to go to the promised land. This is going to be great. And yet God says, hey, pump the brakes. Turn back around. And he puts them actually in that spot between the sea and the army approaching. 
That God actually places them in that spot where they need to cry to him, where they need to depend upon him all the more. I think when we read this, we, we, again and again, we see this fact that we trust and we see that God has a plan, yes, but it's not always what we expect. Because we think we're pretty smart individuals. We think we got it together, right? And we think we should know how things should happen. And so we think God should have plans that are similar to our plans. But again and again, God shows us he has a plan, and it's not what we expect. That his plan is always to bring his people to, uh, to safety and to save them. But also his plan is always to bring himself glory. Because his plan, how he moves them, is going to set up where it's clear that he is the one who saves God saves his people, and all they have to do is stand in that salvation that he brings to them. You know, that's I think also applies to us in our lives. That when we're going through life and we find ourselves actually in that, that, that spot where we, where we kind of metaphorically are between that sea and the army approaching, wondering what is going to happen, that we we should remember that God has a plan, that God is still working, that he's working for his glory, but we also should rely on those promises he had. And that's why I kind of wish we had a narrator to our lives kind of like the Bible does. As this, this chapter opens up, Moses, who's writing this, is narrating, telling us why God is doing what he's doing. He's saying, hey, he's doing this because he's going to... He's going to uh, uh, get glory over uh, Pharaoh and his army. He's going to show his dominance. And I love that because it's telling us why God is operating how he is in this chapter. But wouldn't it be great if we walked around with a narrator kind of telling us where we're like driving and someone cuts us off and it goes, well, little did Adam know that this person was experiencing hardship in his life and he should have sympathy for this person and not cuss them out on the road because they cut them out. How great would that be, a narrator to kind of give us the big picture to tell us what God is doing or what's happening in other people's lives. It would be great, but we don't have that, do we? If you do, you probably should seek medical attention. But if we don't have that narrator for us, like who's laying it out for us, who's actually telling us, hey, you see, you might say, wonder why God is leading you here or why did God put you in a situation and you don't see the big picture, we don't have an area saying God is working in these great ways that you can't even see. But we do have the Bible that shows us again and again how that's true. And so even in those situations where we don't have God telling us what he's doing in our lives, we can trust in who he is and rely on him and that it does make sense to him and that he's going to get the glory and we are going to get the promises that he's promised us, which is salvation, which is being conformed to the image of his son. All the great promises that he's given us, that we'll be his people. And so we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. You think the people of Israel would know that. They already have seen how God has worked in miraculous ways. They have seen the ten signs and wonders. They have participated in the Passover. They have done all this. You think they would know that God is there for them, that he is working in these great ways, but yet when they are placed in a situation with the sea on one side and they see armies, uh, Pharaoh's armies fastly approaching, what do they say? They fear greatly. They tremble. They're wondering what's going on. 
I mean, we can't really blame them, though, because we're just like that. When, we, when life gets out of hand, we quickly go, what's going on, God? But put, just put yourself in, in their spot where, where they look and they seem, hey, this is our doom approaching. We thought we were free, but now we're not free. There's no way through this sea. We have an army approaching. What should we do? Why should we do? And I mean, we understand it. It's so human. It's so human and so direct how they complain to Moses. I just love the language, you know. Are, were there not graves in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? This is so human. They see the present situation, and that's all they see. They see their present circumstances, and that's all that clouds their eyes. And so Moses has to remind them that we have to see beyond that. And as I said, we can't really criticize them that much because that's what we do. In our life, so often, our eyes get clouded or we get blocked, and all we see is what we're going through now. And we've forgotten how God has worked in our past. And we've forgotten the promises of the scriptures because all we can see is the trouble and the circumstances we find ourselves in. That we're just like the people of Israel complaining to God, crying out to him, why did you put us in this situation to die? And all of us, the people of Israel and us included, need to be reminded about Moses' responses, his, his encouragement which I just want to read in, in verses 13 through 14. It says, Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I love this response because what Moses is saying to them is, hey, you foolish people, do you believe that after God has moved literally heaven and earth to bring you out of Egypt, how he has caused all these signs to happen, how he has worked through his, his uh, prophet Moses, after you believe, after he's done all of this, that he just did it so that you die in the wilderness? Did God do all these things, these ten plagues, the killing of the firstborn, instituting a, a memorial feast to remember the Passover? Did he do all of these things just so he's now going to abandon you? Of course not. Stand firm. Remember what he's done. If God has done these things for you, why would he now leave you to your own devices? Why would he now forget about you and let you die? That Moses is calling upon the people to trust in who God is. He's calling upon the people to remember and be firm in what God has done in their lives. He's calling upon the people to remember that God still has great promises in store for them and to remember and hold firm to those promises. He's calling them to remember to stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. And the same thing needs to be told us, me, all of us, I think. Because again, we get caught up with how life is going. Maybe it's not going great, or when we hit those trials, or when we hit those circumstances, that we're wondering, why would this happen to me? What is going on with my life? We need to remember the fact of who God is and how he loves us. 
A verse that's been rattling my mind for, for a, a while now is, is Romans 8.32, which I love it because this is Paul speaking to the church in Rome, and he's saying, he's asking them to remember what God has done, and because you remember what God has done, you can trust how he's going to still work, and how he's reminding them and calling them to have faith in God. And how he does that is he, he points back to the cross. He says, he's reminding us, he, he says, he who did not spare his own son, talking about God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This, the idea is that we need to remember, if God has already given us Christ, which if you're a believer, he has. If he's already delivered his son to die a death that he did not deserve, if he's already delivered his son to take our sins upon himself, if he's already given our son to die the death we deserved, why would we hesitate or think for a second that he's not going to bring us home? Why would we think for a second that he would abandon us now? He's already given us the greatest gift ever possible, the Lord of creation crucified for us. Why would we think now he'd say, nah, I won't give them what they need. I won't bring them home. I won't make sure salvation is complete in their lives. That we need to remember, just like the people of Israel need to remember who God is. That whatever we face in life, whatever comes our way, whatever we're feeling, the angst we might feel, our hearts might be broken, we might be under tremendous grief, but we recall to mind the great love of our God. That if he's already given us Christ, he will bring me home and give me everything I need. Not maybe everything I want but everything I need for salvation, to be conformed to the image of his son, to be sanctified, to be his person, his people, where I am, I can trust in him as I stand firm to salvation of the Lord because he's done this. That's the heart of Moses' encouragement to the people of Israel. He's there. He's with you. And guess what? He fights for you. What could come against you that you have to fear? And I love it because it kind of shows how he does that. Just a little glimpse in, 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 uh, in this passage in, in verses 19 and a little on. I love it because all of a sudden in the midst of this, what happens? The cloud that they have been following, the angel of the Lord they've been following, all of a sudden moves from before them and goes behind them and shields them from Pharaoh's army. So that all night as they're encamped in front of the sea, Pharaoh's army and them don't come together, that he actually protects them. And it's this great idea, this great concept, this truth that God actually shields us. He protects us. He's there for us. He's not only going before us, but he's coming behind us, protecting us. He's around us, protecting us, and making sure that his plan is, is not thwarted because it can't be thwarted, making sure we are going to be who he wants us to be and delivering us and uh, uh, building us up, making us his people, that God protects us. Now, this does not mean that we don't experience hurts. We don't experience disappointments or tragedies. That's not what this is saying, but it's saying that God protects us for his purposes so that we can trust that until he calls us home, we're safe. That until he calls us back to his arms, we are protected. 
And if we know that, we trust that whatever he's working in the meantime is for our good, for our benefit to grow us, to make us more his people. There's a a little phrase from a book I love called uh, Knowing God by Jerry Packer. And he has this, this line that has been stuck in my mind for, for uh, about a year or, so, or a little bit less now. And it says, every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love for us and comes to us for the furthering of God's purpose for us. That's such a hard concept to grab and believe. But it's the truth of a sovereign God who loves us, who is in control of all, that we can trust that whatever happens to us, God is using for our good to further his purposes in us. That the people of Israel should have known this because they've seen it in action. And that this cloud moving to protect them is just a a little taste of how he does that, uh, how he protects and delivers. And of course, the cloud moves in front of them to block them from the army. Why? Because now God gives that command to Moses. Lift up your staff. The sea is parted. Israel walked through as on dry land. Very emphatic. It mentions it twice with a wall of water on the right hand and a wall of water on the left. And they pass through the Red Sea and they are freed from, from Egypt. And again, God tells Moses to lift up his staff and the waters come over Pharaoh and his army which had chased the Israelites into the sea that God delivers his people. He made the way. He brought salvation for his people. It's truly a miracle of miracles that we see in the Bible and we trust that. But just like all miracles in the Bible, people doubt it and they want to try to explain it away. There's this whole thought that, well, really, that it's not that great of a miracle in the first place because the words there, the Hebrew for Red Sea, really don't, can mean reed sea, and, and that might be referring to papyrus, and that reed does not grow in the Red Sea. It grows in the marshes up north. And so really, really what this, the Bible is saying is that God brought them to a lake or maybe a marshland and then separated that, which maybe was just like wading depth, and then, and then brought them through that, right? Because that seems more logical. But does that jive with Scripture? Not at all. For as we see again, it talks about walls of water on the right hand and on the left hand. It talks about Pharaoh's army being drowned in this sea. It actually reminds me of a joke that when we first started uh, our series through Exodus, uh, Tommy told me, I've heard it before, but uh, Tommy, our bassist, he told me, he actually stopped rehearsal when I came in on Sunday morning to tell me this joke. Was well, a classic joke where this, a kid is reading his Bible and he's sitting on a park bench and he, he starts explaining. He's like, wow, this is amazing. Our God, our God is so great. And this guy walking by happens to hear him. And this guy is an intellectual. He has just taken a course at the local uh, you know, university. He has heard all the latest scholarship and he sat down and he says, what are you explaining about? And the little boy looks up and goes, I'm reading an Exodus about how, how God delivers his people, how he brought them through the Red Sea and then how, how he, he destroyed Pharaoh's army. And, and the guy goes, well, you know, the latest scholarship suggests that it's not really the Red Sea, it's the Red Sea. And it can kind of explains that to him, and the boy kind of looks at him confused, and then looks at his Bible, and then looks back at the boy, and looks at his Bible, and the, the guy thinking his job is done here, he's enlightened this individual. He gets up and starts walking away, but he hasn't taken a couple more, a uh, few steps before the boy goes, oh, wow, 
Our God is amazing, even more powerful than I thought. And the guy turns around and says, what are you doing? I just told you how it wasn't that big of a thing. He goes, man, our God drowned all of Pharaoh's army in 10 inches of water? How amazing! And I think it's, it's, it's a joke that I don't know the purpose of the joke because I, sometimes I think it's trying to drive a fact about faith where we don't accept facts or anything like that. But no, I think it's, it's showing the reality of we read the scripture and you can't deny the point. God delivers his people. I don't care what level of water it was. God delivers his people. And he triumphs over Pharaoh and his armies over however big that water is. Is it more miraculous if it was deep water that they walked through and he raised big walls and then just brought those walls down on Pharaoh? Or is it more miraculous if it was small little walls and then they brought the small little walls bigger over Pharaoh's people? It doesn't matter. It shows how God is God. He rules over his creation. He gets his victory. Nothing can defeat him. And it brings us to a place of worship. It brings us to a place of praise that God delivers. And when we see this and we read this, this becomes the basis of the whole Old Testament. When they remember who God is, they remember this delivering God. The God who brought you out of Egypt. The God who brought you through the Red Sea. He delivered you. He redeemed you. He saved you. It became a national identity for the Israelite people as they knew God delivers, that they would stand firm in that salvation of the Lord. And us, who now stand on the other side of the cross, know how true this is, that God delivers He doesn't just free us from physical slavery in Egypt. No, he frees us from slavery to sin. He doesn't just bring us out of of the land of pagan influence into the promise. No, he frees us from the dominion of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of his light. That we know the fact that through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, we trust in that and we know God has delivered us. That he has saved us. That he has made us his people. He has made us new in Christ. And we trust in that. And if we trust in that, we also trust in the fact that God will bring us home. And so we are really much like those Israelite people who have seen the salvation of the Lord through the signs and wonders. And now they're wondering, how is God going to save them in this present circumstances? We too, if we know Christ, are like that. Because so often, we who are saved, who know the truth of Jesus Christ, now stand in a life where we're wondering how God is working. How we're wondering how he is going to save us from these present circumstances. We wonder what his purpose is, and we trust in him. And we trust that he truly is going to bring us home. We trust that he truly is working for our good to be con- to, so that we can grow in Christ-likeness, that we can be his people, we can give glory to his name, that we can spread his fame to everyone we know. We trust in these things because God delivers. He delivers ultimately in Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is believe in him. We stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. And I love how this passage ends because it says the people, after after all this, the people looked around and they still feared, but they feared the Lord. It ends with this. It says, but the people, um, 
Wait a second. Uh, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I love that. These book ends of this chapter. Where do we find them at the beginning? Looking upon Pharaoh's armies and fearing greatly. Where do we find them at the end? Looking upon God's majesty and his power and fearing greatly. But this time, they fear correctly. Because we should not fear man. We should not fear humanity. People who maybe can hurt us, maybe take our life away. But we actually fear and tremble with a holy fear of reverence and awe that leads to worship as we bow down and we fall before him and towards God, the one who controls our eternal destiny. The one who controls all. And so they rightly feared. It's this fear that we should all have, that all humanity comes to know who God is. And when you know who God is, the maker of all, the creator of all, the sovereign Lord of the universe, the one who decrees all to be and it does, the one who speaks and it happens, this God, the one that promises and fulfills, the one who says he's going to save us and then saves us, this God, when we see him for who truly is, where we see him through the Bible, what should we fear Feel, we feel, feel fear. We're trembling. He is great. He is wonderful. He is so much bigger than us. He could snuff us out with a thought. But yet he loves us so great we can hardly understand it. And we fall towards him with fear and trembling and awe and reverence. This is our God. Greater than anything else. And because of that, we worship him all the more. And we approach God with the correct fear where we worship him and know truly who he is as the Bible talks about him. Because of that, we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord, knowing that he has done all that is required. Now we just stand firm in him. So what does this mean? What do we do? How do we do that? Well, first and foremost, I think we should consider God's deliverance. This is a reminder to us that again and again, we remember how God delivers us, which means we remember the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, again and again, that every morning we should wake up and remind ourselves of the good news. We should preach the gospel to us, reminding us how we're saved, not because of how good we are, not because of how well we got our life you know, figured out, but because of him and his love, that we consider the deliverance of God and that we orient our whole life around that. And then what do we do? We stand firm in it. We stand firm in it. We, do, we, we are not moved. That when life circumstances come our way, when things don't go how we want them to go, when maybe just we're just like not feeling it, we stand firm. We remind ourselves that our, our feelings are fickle. Life circumstances come and go. But what is the same today uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow is Jesus Christ and his love for us and the salvation he's given us. And so we stand firm in it. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That standing firm in the salvation of the Lord means that we know how God has saved us. Therefore, we do what he's called us to do. 
We love others how he has called us to love others. We serve people how he has called us to serve people. We proclaim the gospel how he has called us to proclaim the gospel, but we stand firm and movable. Why? Because we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. And just like the Egyptian, I mean the Israels, we walk as he guides us, as he directs us, as he leads us, which is the word of God. We pick it up, we read it, we know it, we let it guide and direct our lives as he leads us where will, where he will. It all happens as we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, how you love us, how you move in our lives, how you continue to show us the truth through your word. Lord, I thank you for this account that we can see how you have saved your people through history, in history, how you continue to work, and we can trust that you save us, and you work in the same fashion and in greater fashion, that we can trust in your salvation, we can trust that you do it all, that all we have to do is stand in Christ. Lord, I pray that for everyone here, that we can be firm in who Christ is, that we can stand firmly in the salvation he achieves for us, gains for us, gives to us, that we can know him, that we can respond to him and give our lives to him, and that we can open up your word and follow as you guide and direct us. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.